Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. Let's get into today's episode. Kia ora and welcome to episode 30 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today, I'm going back to my childhood and back to my teenage years, and I have asked um, one of my former teachers, I don't actually know if he he taught me, he might have to remind me of that, uh, it, was, it was a few moons ago now, and he's probably had a lot more boys through the uh, <laughs> through the classroom since then, but um, Mr. Van Stiprian is who I have on today, um, or otherwise known as Blair Van Stiprian, but I still feel a little bit strange um, saying that, even all these years later when I'm a, uh, a fully grown man, I guess you could say, but... I don't know, maybe it's a respect thing, but um, Blair's a senior master and teacher at Palms North Boys High School, and he has been for 23 years. Um, he's married to Stephanie, and he has two children, Thomas and Charlotte. He's currently coaching um, the first 15 at Palmy Boys, as well as Varsity Senior A's, who just won the the Hank, which is the local rugby competition here. So uh, he's probably had a good weekend, I would say. Um, in terms of his fitness and competitive things, he's currently competing in indoor rowing, which I'm quite interested to kind of hear a bit about how that works, because it's it sounds like a little bit of an interesting competition and in how that kind of operates. So I'm keen to learn a bit about that. Um, but he's also done a whole range of different things. And I remember when I was at Boys High, you know, Mr. Van Stipperian was always one of those really fit teachers who was actually, you know, I guess, practicing what he was preaching and and in there doing the hard graft. So um, he's also previously done surf boat rowing, Ironman, ultra marathon, just a whole bunch of different um, endurance-based activities. So I'm looking forward to learning um, a little bit about that as I've been jumping more into endurance myself lately. So I'm sure there's a few things he can teach me. So anyway, Blair, how are you going? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well, thank you. And uh, thanks for the invite onto here. And you're right, I don't know that I necessarily can recall teaching you it was uh, a fair few moons ago but i recall when you were there um and the and the impact you had on the school while you were there so cheers um i think the biggest thing that i remember from my year is the number of um you know like good rugby players that we had <laughs> going through the system at the school at that time um aaron cruden kurt baker who i had on the podcast recently um andre taylor and i guess there's more that you'd probably remember from that era because i imagine quite a few of them would have passed through your teams um during that time yeah my sort of overwhelming memory from that is just a phenomenal bunch of athletes that came through and and just bloody good buggers as well um it was a period mm. of time where um it was a really strong year 13 group um in terms of character and in terms of sport and everything and, and it was a really successful time for the school sort of that year the year before the year after as well and um yeah, just a, a really strong period for, for boys high in general. And, and that's not to say we haven't been there back since. But as you say, so many um, rugby players, but you've also got um, Olympians and Commonwealth, mm. Solomon, and, and a number of other guys that sort of came Jesse through. Sergeant, Jesse Sargent, I think, was Sargent around that same well. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Levi Sherwood, um, you know, yeah. it, was just a, it was just a really good bubble coming through the school. And it was it's really exciting as a teacher to sort of see what they do then, but then to follow careers afterwards as well. It's It's a real privilege to sort of, um, be able to have a ringside seat to it I think yeah yeah it's one of those things I think when I was there as well when I looked at sort of that role and and even probably reading about some of the other sort of you know big coaches of you know the All Blacks and things around that time or not long after with Graham Henry who was you know he was a teacher and a coach um, when he was at his schools I think he was a principal as well wasn't he um, yep. but you sort of I think there was a lot of I guess inspiration people would take from the teachers and actually the teachers themselves going on to be really fantastic coaches like it's kind of there's almost a pathway for both things there that you know if you're if you're a good coach 
at a high school, sometimes that will actually transition onto those other levels with, you know, coaching at regional levels and all blacks levels, even like you saw with that. I think there may even be some other coaches. I don't know if John Hart was the same thing. I, I could be dreaming when I'm sure. remembering that. <laughs> I know Graham Henry applied for, he applied for the, um, the rectorship. He, um, him and, um, remember his name, David Sims applied for the job mm. at the same time and, and David Sims obviously got the role. But yeah, I think uh, Wayne Smith was a PE teacher. There's, there's uh, Joe Schmidt obviously was a teacher. I think there's yeah. within the New Zealand um, sporting system, just because of the size and, and it's not massive as, as um, that secondary school sports picture is a, or, or seen as a real pathway. And um, often your good sportsmen will become teachers as well because it's a, a good way to get extra training in through the holidays, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it is a certainly a pathway there. I, th I think it stops. It's stopped a little bit more now, especially within rugby. It sort of seems to be more players, uh, retired players, et cetera, that become those sort yeah. of C coaches, Midas coaches, Supers coaches and, and whatnot, and, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, for a while there, it certainly was a, a good pathway for us. Mm, mm, definitely. Um, and with, with that whole thing, like how have you found being, I guess, engaged in that schoolboy rugby system? How has that changed over the last, you know, few decades that you've been teaching for? Does does the rugby, the level of rugby look different? Does the way that it's sort of managed within the school look different to what it did, you know, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, I think there's no doubt the level of professionalism within secondary school rugby um, far exceeds the fact that it is secondary school rugby. I think... Um, you know, you've got boys in first 15 that are playing on, on national TV. They play in front of crowds of, you know, upwards of 1,000, 1,500 people and, and nationals are even higher. And then they come out of that and go to club rugby and they're playing in front of 20 people. So um, I think yeah. the, and, and, and therein lies one of the reasons behind the drop off of, of all sports, really, once they leave secondary school, the hype and the um, everything that sort of goes along with it. But yeah, there's no doubt. Um, uh, I guess sport has become a lot of schools sort of um, shop window. Um, their level of success is, is measured by how successful their sporting schools are, their sporting teams are. And um, I think some um, school management, senior management, senior leadership teams have probably um, gone too far down the path of putting everything into their sports. And at mm. the, you know, at the um, uh, minimising what academics is and, and all that sort of aspects of it and um, so it is it is a little bit um, disappointing in that regard schools are academic first and foremost and um, but sure. I, I know there's a lot of schools that put more pride in their sports than they're doing anything else yeah 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 it is an interesting sort of conundrum there as well and mm -hmm. I guess you see aspects of that you know where, where kids will get coached, uh, poached sorry from one one school and move you know somewhere else and they won't get say funding because they're not allowed to get given money but there'll be a whole bunch of perks that go alongside that i i think there was a bit of that um in recent years i think there's some stuff in the newspaper around that of people mm, not yeah. not locally but nationally you know that basically schools were doing a bit of that type of thing so yeah um, the biggest centers auckland in particular were, were was rife and it's a far more level playing field now because the principals have sort of got together and said it has to stop but you have yeah. to remember education essentially is free in new zealand so um when you sit down with a 13 year old 14 year old 15 year old and their family and you say to them look you know we can we'll give you whatever ten thousand dollars worth of education that sounds really attractive but that's no different mm -hmm. than any other person gets in New Zealand. it just happens you put a figure on it so yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah i so, guess some of those um like private schools might be able to offer something in that regard that you know if you don't get fees for that but i don't think they're probably chasing that glory to the same extent you know it's generally those bigger you know? yeah, I'll, yeah, I don't know. I challenge that a little bit. I think um, yeah. within any hostel, 
there's I don't know three or four beds probably that won't cost anything and and so they oh, yeah. are used as enticements to come in especially if you are from out of town if you're um, in an area where rugby particularly maybe might not be particularly strong or there's no school within the area that sort of plays and, and you have some talent then um, certainly there's um, some attractive offers out there made by schools that have hostels that's for sure yeah yeah i guess that's the way around it isn't it really if yeah you're, especially yeah, if you're out of the region because it's yep. it's a fully funded uh accommodation food mm. which probably is <laughs> these yep. days especially with the cost of living mate that's probably yeah. not a bad one if a parent has that that thrown yep. around on the table so absolutely <laughs> cool man so um with that whole coaching the two squads at the moment you've got the first 15 um at the school and you've got the varsity seniors how are you kind of managing that demand because i mean both of those are probably quite substantive roles and then you've got a full-time job as well so <laughs> how do you yeah, how do you kind of do all that <laughs> It's been a sort of standing joke when for the last sort of 15, 20 years, come winter season, I'm a professional coach that gets paid to teach every once in a while. So, um, look, I'm very fortunate to have a family and, and a, I guess, a boss at school that understands that part of who I am as a teacher and who I am as a parent is, and a person is, is around that coaching. Um, it's an area that I'm really passionate about and one feeds into the other. So, um, you know, coaching varsity, is coaching men and, and coaching fellas that have played for men or two have played for you know super teams and to go up there is some of the greatest development i can have and have had over the last sort of few years and so you go up there and you bring some of their ideas back down to first 15 and mm. and vice versa to be fair and so um yeah you just sort of one plays off against the other um in that regard and um certainly going up the hill as i say to go and coach the varsity team at the end of a long day where you've been teaching then you go to first 15 training and um, at 5.30 you're rolling up the hill and you're not home before 8. But it is, it brings so much energy, you know, and, mm. and you help but get up there and smile and, and being around guys for whom rugby isn't the be-all to end-all. I think first 15, sometimes that is the case and the priority yeah. of the rugby is space in there. And so there's a little bit more pressure um, there, whether it's some of it's perceived, but some of it's on, on these boys' shoulders. But you go up the hill and it is about just being part of a group of young men mm. and guys that have you know done so much together and and the energy that that brings is is pretty wicked so that energizes your coaching it energizes everything else and you know i couldn't imagine like uh senior club rugby's finished now and so um you know my tuesdays and thursdays have come back to me but i was saying to someone today, i missed the boys really to be fair so um, <laughs> that's only week one out isn't it <laughs> i know you're like i've only missed one training and i'm sort of thinking if there's a way i can get the boys together for tomorrow night even if it's just to watch the game again i did say they would all jump at it um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it is. It's a just a really wicked thing to be a part of. And how how was that winning this this past weekend as well? Like, I mean, that's a pretty big big deal. I know Varsity have a pretty good um, history and reputation in that tournament as well. And so there's a there's probably a bit of a legacy, I guess, that's that's going along with that as well. Because it's not like they've, you know, it's not like the the second rate team. They're always always right up there and pushing for that. So how was that? For yeah, you? Uh, it was. Massive sense of relief, to be fair. Um, myself and, and Scott Lewis, who um, whose name you may remember, was an old boy, so mm -hmm. around Lakers time as well. So we've coached Varsity um, for the last four years, and we made three finals in a row and lost all three of them to the same team three times in a row and lost by 1.2 points every time. So um, we were sort of starting to feel like we were cursed, to be honest. Um, yeah. Last year, we were the number one team quite clearly, and we lost in the semis to the number four team, which just happened to be Cobb. And this year, 
we were easily the number four team. Um, we'd had a season of just phenomenal injury run and we couldn't get a team together on some weekends. We were asking guys to come out of retirement to play for us and, and that's the varsity way. They just, you know, mm -hmm. there's a need to fill it. Um, but then come semis, we sort of got most of our players back and, and we managed to tip over the number one team and then um, return the favour to Cobb in the final. And, and both games were won. I think the semi we won in the 87th minute and the final we won in the 90th minute. So, Jeez, uh, yeah, it's like, honestly, uh, just a massive sense of relief and just a... I guess validate your approach when you lose three yeah. finals in a row it's like geez do we actually know what we're doing <laughs> do we? because we feel like we're going pretty good and we feel like we're really developing our players and there's really good clarity but you know when when uh, that's when your success measures eh? like as opposed to development measures and you know take care of this and the scoreboard takes care of itself sort of stuff but when you lose three finals in a row it's like i just wish the scoreboard would take care of what we needed to care of. so yeah. um, you know certainly some soul searching for last year and, and whether we'd even front up again this year as coaches maybe we didn't have the voice that the team needed maybe we didn't have the um, style that the team needed because there's no denying the talent that was within that playing group um, mm. but for whatever reason this year and, and some of it may well be that it didn't come easy for us the last sort of three or four years we've been on a really good roll but this year we had to scrap for every game and we had to scrap to get into the top four and it was probably the kick up the ass we needed really to be fair yeah yeah so did anything change in the approach for the coaching this year versus the last three years like did you is there anything like <laughs> tangibly different from your perspective or was it a similar system and similar approach uh it was a little bit more player driven this year um because we'd made a conscious effort as the two sort of head coaches to say okay if we're not the voice then where is the voice so mm. we sort of dropped it a little bit more on the players we're really fortunate to have the players that we have um, within the team that it's not a you know, some of them are coaches, some of them are teachers, and so to suddenly put it on them, you know, they're doing it already on a, any given Tuesday, Thursday with their own teams, and, and they have their mm -hmm. own unique skills as well. So it was interesting, once you start putting it back on the players, you still start seeing some of the same drills that you've been doing for the last three years and some of the same ideas you've been doing in the last three years, but because it's not your voice, it's someone else's voice, it's like, oh, shivers, this is awesome, this is, you know, this is new. <laughs> Yeah. I don't really care right now. We're four years into this. We've yet to win. I don't care where it's coming <laughs> from. Just, just get it done. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that was probably a bit of a difference. Um, and we were a lot more when we started our run into the semis and stuff. We sort of dropped the training session and got in front of um, video mm -hmm. and showed the boys the pictures. Um, I think I may see something. You may see something, and and I'll explain it to you. And you say, "Yep, I understand what you're saying." And then you go out on the field. It's like, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. So, here's the video. Here's the pictures. Yeah. Are we all seeing it? Yep, we do. Sweet. Let's go train that, and then we're away. And I, I think for club rugby, that's a little bit different mm. um, because players. But that was where we got to with that playing group and that sort of um, understanding that if we keep doing the same thing we're going to keep getting the same results so what can we change we can change this let's change this and see what happens and lo and behold mm, that, yeah it's quite interesting eh? like i like what you said about the when someone another player tells them basically it's like it's a different mm. thing it almost mm. reminds me a bit of you know like mm. when a parent's trying to tell a kid to do something and, and they won't listen to the parent but then the cousin tells them the exact same thing yep. and then <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And you're like, that's yeah, that's sweet, idea, you're yeah. doing it. <laughs> well, that's sort of leadership, hey? Like, you don't really care. Well, that's a form of leadership. I don't think if you're really um, secure in who you are and what you are as a person, then, and as a leader or, or whatever, as a coach, as a teacher, whatever, 
at some point you have to say, I don't care how you learn it. I don't care where the message comes from. You just need to get the message. So, um, and you need to have this learning and you need to get that clarity. So let's create an environment where um, you go seeking that clarity from anyone and you're safe to do that. Um, I think if I think if you feel that it has to come from you as the coach, as a leader, as a teacher or whatever, then you don't have, I feel, um, confidence in who you are and what you are as a person. So give it up. It's like giving up the power. Those those that can't give the power up or give that responsibility up um, aren't secure, I, I think. Mm. Whereas if you're saying, I don't care, get it, I don't care, I'm happy, I know you're going to come back to me if you need to, um, then you go for gold and just, just be good, basically. Yeah, yeah. Is it quite different? Um, working at a at a club level versus a high school level, and in, in, in the sense of like the turnover of players, because when you're at high school, obviously kids are maturing and coming through, and you're getting a different seventh form year group every year, so you kind of lose like a whole team almost. Yeah. Um, but with the varsity, there's probably a whole lot more consistency because more of those players would hang around. Maybe with varsity, it's a little bit different to some of the other clubs because some of those people be coming for study. But I imagine you've got a more core group. <laughs> for longer like does that affect how you do things uh it does a little bit um university ironically doesn't have a massive turnover like within our within our um team we might only have four or five students yeah i mean that's yeah. another discussion there around the number <laughs> of males that are coming to messi and the number of rugby yeah. players that are coming to messi um, a lot of our guys came as students but are now no longer students uh, okay. um, but they have stayed with us um, just because you finished messi or uni doesn't mean you should go to another club. So so our turnover hasn't been that high, and that's a big part of who we are and what we are as well and the culture we've sort of generated up there. Um, and But at school, yeah, you're right. Um, some of that starts, I think, because you have a reputation that you earn almost every day as a teacher and as a coach, and so year nines will see you, year tens will see you, and, and they'll have some input from me in particular through the sports development program we have at school now with rugby and so by the and then they'll go away and do their own stuff with their own team but by the time they come mm. back to you in year 12 or year 13 you have a relationship with them already and that's like that's the biggest box you have to tick and um uh they have seen your first 15 play and they've heard about you coaching club and stuff and and old boys have come in and spoken and and i guess and you go out of your way to earn that respect all the time then then it is, whilst the turnover is there, um, it's it's not easy, but it's doable to sort of get people on board relatively quickly at school. The other mm. thing with schoolboy, to be very, like club rugby, if you've got 23 players, you're in a really strong position, and, and we are. But if you are, um, if you don't do it right, then they will vote with their feet, and you'll get five or six guys leave. There's not five or six guys waiting to come in and take their place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas at school, if you say to them, here's our expectations, do your schoolwork really well, be a good guy around school, earn the right to play rugby. And if they don't, then you just go to the next cab off the rank and get them to come in. Mm. And so and the boys are aware of that. They know that if they don't get it right, then we just go to the next person. So yeah. we put all our support around the ones that we really want and we make sure that our expectations are really clear and, and we support them in meeting those expectations and we acknowledge when they do and we celebrate all that stuff. Um, but the reality is if, if you decide not to um, earn the right to come and play rugby because it's a privilege, then we'll go and find someone who does because they're the characters that we want. Yeah, yeah. So how did you kind of get into coaching? I guess we can probably go 
go way back potentially here and you know speak a little bit about your childhood and that sort of thing as well but can you kind of go through that story I guess of how who you are and who you were as a kid and then how did that kind of lead into you becoming a PE teacher and a coach? Um, I never played I played rugby when I was five I played rugby league when I was six and then I played football for the next 10 or 12 years of my life and I cycled um, and so I um, I had no desire to play rugby whatsoever. I was tiny and um, I was fast and that helped my football and I was fit and that helped my cycling, but uh, I didn't like any contact. So that was pretty much me out of rugby. So um, <laughs> then I went to, uh, but I was always active and I was always fit and I was always training for something. So and did I you think follow that, rugby back then? Oh, as, an, as any New Zealand male does. Um, I mm. had an uncle who was really strong into rugby and, and he and I would talk about those sorts of things. My parents um, weren't, they were sportsmen back, you know, when they were young. My dad was a surfer, my mum was a gymnast and an athlete, mm. but they, you know, once, as like a lot of parents, once they had us, the focus became something else and they became tremendous watchers of sport and really passionate watchers of sport of myself and my brother. But um, I followed rugby as a New Zealand male does, um, but I was more interested in the performance in other areas. Um, and then I went down to uh, Otago University and I studied physiotherapy down there, but more importantly, I got, well, no, actually that's not quite right. That was pretty important, studying physio. <laughs> um, I got into rowing um, and I suddenly found a sport that uh, I just, like I'd be a rowing coach any day of the week. And I, if I could do rowing full time, I absolutely would. I just love, I love the sport. It's one of those team sports where <clears throat> if I'm the strongest and the fittest and if I'm peak then I can go a long way to helping my team be successful and so um, whereas in rugby sometimes you can be a little bit off or you can be the strongest or whatever in some of those other team sports and because others haven't done any work then it's like well this isn't really going to help performance at all so rowing was my absolute is my absolute um, sort of dream sport so the Palmerston North not a lot of rowing going on so um, are you I from Palmy originally? Pardon? Are you from Palmy originally or not? Uh, my uh, my father was in the Air Force, um, and so I was I was born in Singapore of all places, and then we lived in Auckland for a long while, um, mm. which sort of explains why I didn't play rugby or rugby league. <laughs> uh, I played well, I played football up there, and then we came down. Dad got posted down to Ahakia, uh in Standard Four, which is old school year five or six, I think, um, and then. Onto Boys High, I'm an old boy of Boys High, onto Boys High, and, and sort of ah, presented itself yeah. there, and then um, on from there. So, yeah. yeah, and then went away to uni, came back, started playing rugby because um, I'd grown a little bit, and football wasn't very strong in Palmy when I came back, and there was no rowing. So, I was like, well, what shall I do? I went to rugby. Um, I was physioing at that stage as well, and so I was physioing for a club team, and then I was fortunate enough to physio Manawa 2. Um, and then when they were just before they were the Vikings and then um, decided after four or five years of being a physio. It didn't happen to win the Shield then. No. It was around the Vikings no, time, wasn't it? I'm not that old, mate. Was that 70s, the Shield? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even oh okay. <laughs> um, I'm talking mid uh, late 90s. <laughs> um, sort of went through physio um, and then decided physio might not be for me. I wanted to go teaching. Went to t -Cole. And when you go to boys high as a teacher, it's an expectation. It doesn't have to be, but it is an expectation that you coach. 
Um, and at that stage, I was playing rugby, so I became a rugby coach. Um, and I guess 23 years later, I still am. <laughs> so, so. How, how did you end up transitioning, or what was what was kind of the kicker that made you go from the physio to the to the teaching? Was there a specific thing about physio you didn't enjoy, or was it just? Um, well, I've got to be a little bit careful here, but <clears throat> I worked in the hospital system. Yeah. Um, and I think it's well publicised even now that the hospital system is broken um, mm. and there are some absolutely amazing people working in the hospital system against all odds. And um, I worked in that system for four or five years and I loved what I was doing. I was working with um, paediatrics with, with the children and mm. doing some work with them. I really enjoyed that. Um, and I was working with um, patients that had neurological deficits and those sorts of things. I loved that work. But you sort of get to the point where I could literally say in six months time who I was going to be treating and what I was going to be doing at that time. And so you sort of look at that and you go, OK, is there any like where's the job satisfaction in that? And whilst I still enjoyed the people aspect of it, mm. um, yeah, I sort of felt the need for a change. And, and I went through Teachers College to see if that was where I wanted to go. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was really fortunate. There was only <clears throat> uh, Steph, my wife, she's a local Palmy, and she was working in the hospital as a nurse. And, and we were sort of saying, well, I really only want to teach at Boys High, so I'll go there. There was no jobs on offer. I just went there. And Dave Sims, who was the rector at the time, was the rector when I left. And, and he sort of knew me. And there was an opportunity there to go in. And, and I sort of took it. And, and I, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed my time there, obviously. It's a school that people go to, teachers go to. and I used to say they go there to die because you sort of don't end up leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, I didn't think I'd stay here for 23 years, but then I look back and I say, well, where else would I teach? Um, who I am, what I am. Um, you know, so much of that is because of Palmy Boys, but so much of that suits because I am Palmy Boys. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like, you know, it is one of those schools that I think people become quite loyal to as well. Like, yeah. you know, even looking back, you know, like and having a, having a young boy myself now, it's like, wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Know, if I ever consider moving away, I'm like, but what about Palmy boys? Like, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'd, want to, I'd want him to go to Palmy boys. I mean, I could send him to the hostel, but <laughs> it's probably yeah. not the same. I, I'd like him at home as well. So it's kind of like, yeah, well, maybe yeah, I should yeah. stay here so he can go to Palmy boys. And it's like, hey, yeah. that's like, 10, 11 years away, mate. Like, yeah. <laughs> but Palmy, how cool is Palmy as a place to uh, to bring a family up? You know, like I mm. think Palmy's underrated in that regard. Um, uh, it's got great schooling. It's relatively safe. It takes you ten minutes to get from one side of town to the other. Yeah. If it's a traffic jam, it's fifteen minutes. And yeah, you know, housing's cheap and everything. So why would you? I get opportunities will present itself for mm. other reasons, but. Has to be a pretty strong reason to leave Palmy North. So um, you know, I'm Palmy proud and and big yeah. Well, I mean, I've I when did we we because we went up we lived in the Waikato for like I don't know five or so years and we'd been yeah. raised in the Rangatake for for a few years before that. <clears throat> Originally, was born in Martin and then we were yeah. farming um, just out of well between Sanson and Foxton, basically in the middle there for for a few years. Um, yep. I think it was Glenarua, Rua Downs type area. Yeah. Um, and then we went up north, well, up to the Waikato, and it was kind of like we were there for a while, and that's why I'm a Chiefs fan because I've, you know, <laughs> I, I was there for those some of those formative years, and I didn't want to support the same team as my brother. Um, <laughs> yep. 
so I, well, no, we were useless back then. The yeah, team's were absolutely garbage for the first yeah. how many years that was. That would have been right near the inception, probably. I would have been, yeah, about 1995, 1906. That would have been when they were probably bottom of the table. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I sort of, we've ended up back here. And when did I come back? It would have been about 12, 12, 12 or 13 or something like that, year before yep. Palmy Boys, and then yep. did Palmy Boys. And then we've, I've never left, studied at Massey, and I've hung around and I've sort of, you know, one of the other things I think as well is like you said about the cost of living here. It's like, well, actually, it is quite cheap to live. It's convenient. And I remember Sash and I went to America one year and it was kind of like, you know, if we live somewhere like Auckland and we're paying house prices for that, the chances of you being able to go on a on a decent trip overseas, you yep. know, it's going to be a whole lot harder. It's still going to be doable, but it's going to be a whole lot harder um, yep. than it is living somewhere that's a bit cheaper to live, a bit easier to sort of just, you know, less petrol costs, less housing costs, yep. all of those things. So you can definitely sell it to yourself. The thing for us at the moment is we don't have any grandparents here. Um, so that's kind of the the challenge with with having a young family is you don't right. have that, mum, yep. you know, mum or dad that you can just go drop them off to and, and you know, have a little bit of time to yourselves. But aside I know, from that, I, I love the place. If one of them moved back, there'd be no chance I'd be moving anywhere. <laughs> I know when we came down, because we, as I said, we posted down from Auckland and, um, mum was just devastated that we were coming down to Palmy. Um, <laughs> and dad was like, don't worry, I'll, I'll work for the post team. We'll be back up in Auckland in six months. And you know what, 40 years later, I'm still here. So, and <laughs> so it's, yeah, I think it grows, the place grows on you. I've, and I've done my away, you know, I four years in Dunedin. So I've sort of mm -hmm. done that. Um, so I'm okay to say that I'm okay to come back here as well. And, and we've looked at instances where we might go to other schools, but, um, Palmy Boys just keeps dragging you back. The loyalty, not dragging, the loyalty to the school is like, I don't, it's, it's, why would I move place just to say I want to move and I'm okay where I am and we're okay where we are and um, we're going great. So let's just chill here. <laughs> Until you get offered that um, NPC coaching role with Hawks Bay or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I'm not an ex-player. So ex-players, uh, teachers don't tend to get those jobs anymore. You have to be an ex-super player. <laughs> no, not even an ex-super player. You've got to be an ex-all black now. <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of that, isn't there, around at the moment? <laughs> yeah, let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we can park that one. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so, so when did you meet your wife and when did the kids come along and that sort of stuff? Uh, like, what's that personal uh, uh, story there? Yeah, um... The year before I went to teachers college um, was when I met my wife. So we were both, obviously I was a physio in the hospital. She was working in the, as a nurse in the hospital and, um, you know, one of those classic medical stories. Um, and then uh, I went through teachers college and again, you know, I'm the first to admit I'm blessed to have the wife that I have and the family that I have. Um, you know, I stopped working for a year and, and Steph was, you know, super supportive for me to do that and allow me to go through, or not allow, but, you know, um, support me through Teachers yeah. College. Um, and then, and because there, there was no guarantee of a job or anything after that, um, but then I obviously I came out, so that was 2000, we were married in 2000. I came out, nice, easy, nice, easy date to remember. The wedding yeah. in the first <laughs> um, we came out in 2001, I started teaching at Boys High, so I was pretty much straight away. And then halfway through that year, um, another opportunity opened up for, for us to go and live in the hostel and be a, um, a master at College House there. And um, that was a wicked, wicked time as well. The hostel is something special for Boys High. So to go in there and do that early in my teaching career and we had Thomas, my eldest, uh, whilst we we're in there, and then, um, uh, yeah, and then moved out 
had Charlotte, my daughter, or our daughter shortly thereafter. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's sort of how we sort of got to where we are now. And um, Thomas is 20, Charlotte is, and he's in his second year of uni, and Charlotte is 18 going on 35, and she's in, our, she's in her first year of um, uni down in Dunedin. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really we're blessed to have who we have and, and how we've got here. So is your boy still at your place or is he somewhere else as yeah, well? Yeah, no, he's living at home, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, smart, smart. To be fair, he, he got tickets tonight. So he is um, he is the um, he is the ultimate flatmate for us. He <laughs> tell him what to do, generally speaking, and he will also cook tea for us a few nights a week because we're both out with rugby, with work, and, and that sort of side of it. So um, we're really fortunate to have him around. Really, because that's pretty that's pretty good if you've got you know your your boy cooking your dinner like that's oh, a, that's a good result. There must have been some good parenting along the way for that to occur. Cooking's um, a big part of our family, you know, like um, I love cooking. I we, I cook most of the weekends when it's not rugby season. I think it's uh, it's a way of showing love for your family, you know, like you're, you're providing for your family. I love setting myself up in the kitchen with the music on and a bottle of wine or a little beer or something there. And I love following recipes. I love looking at recipes and um, sort of just trying to work my way through it and then putting your own little mix on it as well. And, and I think um, Thomas has sort of inherited that a little bit. He's realised now that if you do follow the recipes, it works out pretty good. If you try <laughs> freestyle the first time, then it maybe not so much. But uh, yeah, it's cooking's huge for us and, and preparing food for our family is huge for us. Yeah, yeah. So with your training around all of that sort of stuff, because yep. you obviously were doing, you said you got into a bit of rugby when you came back here. Was that right? Yep. And then yep. how did you kind of progress? Because I'm pretty sure when I was at school, you were, or not long thereafter, would have been when you were doing some of the Ironman stuff, yep. um, if I remember correctly. How yep. did you end up getting into that type of thing? And then also, how do you manage that sort of, uh, I guess, training volume alongside your coaching, your teaching, <laughs> being a good dad? How does all that sort of stuff, how have you managed to fit that in, I guess, over the years? Um, I was never any good at, I was okay at rugby, but I wasn't great at rugby. My strength was always my fitness and my endurance stuff. And I cycled, as I said, I cycled when I was at school. I rode when I was at uni, came back here and there wasn't any rowing. So it was sort of running and cycling. And um, uh, I just started setting myself some goals. So Lake Taupo, the Lake Taupo bike race really appealed to me. Um, and then I started thinking, well, I wouldn't mind doing an Ironman. And so I set myself up to do an Ironman in sort of four or five years' time as a bit of a long-term goal. And then I said, okay, if I'm going to do that, then I need to be able to run some marathons and I need to be able to um, ride this Lake Taupo and stuff. And I, I had no real concerns about whether I could, to be honest, whether I could last an Ironman. I knew I could finish it, but uh, I had an ego back then and I had to do it well and um and i was uh, so i just made some decisions around making sure that i could do it well um i wasn't coaching varsity back then i wasn't with the first so i was just i just i had colts i think or second 15 yeah. so i had a little bit of time and thomas was really young um and so you know for the cycling i'd get up in the morning i'd give him his bottle and then i'd go and train um so he would get up around sort of 3 34 o'clock in the morning to have his bottle i'd get up do that and then i'd go and jump on the bike for a couple of hours be back and yeah. so you're just making decisions around that. And um, and then in the afternoon, you try and squeeze something in and the weekends became big training times as well. Um, and as I said, I was really fortunate to, and Steph, with Steph, she understood what that stuff meant to me. Um, and she also understood that it was a bit of, it wasn't, a, you stop short of saying it's a drug for you, but my happy place, if I'm not here with them, is 
out doing something and you know the science around the endorphin release and everything is for me is is really strong and, and true it's part of my whole order it's part of my overall sort of well-being if i don't exercise um, which is tough during winter then i certainly get a little bit grouchy that's for sure so um yeah and like i'm a firm believer in windows of opportunity so i went i was training for ironman and the ultra marathons and the marathons and stuff when the kids were young and so there were sleep times and there were mm. and that was my window of opportunity as they got older and needed me more um and work was driving me more and, and everything then all that stuff stopped i couldn't do and i, I was really comfortable with that i picked something yeah. else up that wasn't quite so time consuming um and, and that was fine i was happy with that and then as the kids got older more opportunities opened up you had a little bit more time and so you started finding things that suited the time that you had and, and that's how i've sort of operated so the window mm -hmm. of opportunity when they were young was around the ultra stuff um as they got older it was around the surf boat rowing stuff which is a little bit shorter but still you know exciting times and then i sort of middled my way through there sort of um teen years um, with a couple of little things, but nothing major because the priority had to be with them and it was with the firsts mm. and, and everything. And now that they're older and um, then, you know, things can open up a little bit. So what sort of um, events did you do? Like, did you do multiple Ironmans? Was it just one? What distance no, ultras? No, like, it was what one kind and done. Of, yeah. One and done. So I did an Ironman, done. I was doing marathons leading up to that and um, I was really pretty happy with how I was running them. So that was that done. Once I, my ego was such that once I sort of did something, it was like, sweet. Did you Iron have time Man. goals with that stuff? Or was it, because uh, obviously if you're quite competitive, was there specific things that were driving yep. you? Was it like, oh, I want yep. to a sub 13 or sub 12 or whatever it was for the Ironman? Yep. And yep. was that? No, there was. Yeah. Um, and I was, uh, I operate in the age group thing, eh? Like I'm, um, I'll tell you that in a little minute. But yeah, so it was um, time driven, goal, time goals. Um, uh, which when you're racing against the clock and marathons and those sorts of things is quite an easy sort of thing to do and you know how much training you've done and you know where you're at and yeah. you put a good performance together, then happy days. So, um, yeah, I had some goals with Ironman. I had some goals with marathons and I sort of was getting pretty close to them, so I was okay with that. The Ironman, to be fair, I'd love to go and do another one again because um, mm. I was about five. I was, <clears throat> I was two toilet breaks away from where I wanted to be um, and <laughs> – had I not had the two toilet breaks, then I probably would have gone to Kona. And so that, you know, um, that sort of sits there a little bit. Um, after I finished, Iron, after I did the Ironman. specific I, timings that qualify you for was, something like Kona? It was just positions. It was positions. So uh, I was, okay, yeah. Uh, like I was 10th or something in my age group. And I think they took the top five and the top fifth was maybe I can't remember, 20, 25 minutes away. And uh, I got my nutrition plan just a little bit wrong in the Ironman. Mm. And so needed the toilet stops weren't, you know, you can urinate in your own pants when you're running. It wasn't that. Let's just say that. And so I had to stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because you didn't want to run through the, sh the shoot. So, um, <laughs> so you look at that and you think, shivers, that was, you know, that's how close I got. And then when I did the ultra, that was 100Ks running. Jeez, which one that. did you do? Uh, Wera. And yeah. sort of like the second or third year of it going, and that's uh, a pretty big event now, isn't it? That's up yeah, it's huge. yeah. So I like did some world world class competitors come over yeah, to that yeah, now, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I sort of I have this knack of picking events when they're young, and so I look and so I can go quite well in them. <laughs> Sounds like me, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're not really well known, and so quite niche. Um, 
uh, I set a time for that, uh, and I was, I had probably the worst race day I've ever had, and just got things completely wrong. Like, and I was in the deepest, darkest black hole I've ever been in in a physical sense, and I, I just remember crying for most of that race. To be fair, and um, so that sits as well, knowing that I didn't do that properly, and but I also know that that out of the back of that took me about 12 months to get right physically. And so I know I'm not, I can't go why, back. Why was that? Was that just the, the sheer amount of work? Like you're just in a big overtraining hold or? Yeah, it was yeah. training and just the race itself. Um, you know, running a hundred Ks is not something you can just go and do. So <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you sort of can, but you can't. So um, yeah. So yeah, they just took a long time to come out of and uh and I don't think I've got that much patience and time to go back through. <laughs> and to be fair, as I've gotten older, the ego in that space and running and cycling and stuff isn't really there anymore. So, yeah, um, yeah. And crest to crest, obviously, you'll recall those. Mm. Um, that sort of kept me going for twenty years, just training for them. Well, I mean, that's just they are without any shadow of a doubt. I think the best thing that Palmy Boys has ever done, sports-wise, in the sense of an opportunity for boys, it's just a phenomenal mm. experience for the week and. That sort of trains you up over summer, and you come out of summer, you go to that, and work your way through winter, and it's crest to crest time again. So away you go again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've always got at least one event on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and are you yeah. still doing that every year at the moment? No, because um, no, I'm. So I've gone from being an endurance athlete, and my rowing um, is almost completely the other direction. So I've sort of changed, and that's been really exciting for me, is to try and change my body to be something else so yeah um yeah so yeah the crest to crest really doesn't suit the crest to crest is on at the same time as my major competitions are in rowing so it doesn't really it doesn't match and i've done 20 crests so i'm okay to not do them anymore <laughs> to yeah, be honest. yeah give someone else a chance <laughs> yeah, pretty much yep Yep. So, so with the with the rowing that you're getting yep. into, obviously that's um, for for me. I've, I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but uh, when I was doing a bit of CrossFit for a few years, the 2K row was sort of one of those benchmark tests that I did, and I I think it's the closest I've ever come to passing out while exercising. <laughs> like, in all honesty, I remember like once you could see sort of the last hundred meters on there, my vision was like going like this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably one of the one of the real times that I know that I've pushed myself to the like absolute you know, limits of my capabilities was that because yep. I can't remember what it was. Is it sub sub six or sub seven? I can't remember. It wouldn't have been sub six, would it? Would have been sub seven. No. If you can go if you can go under eight, you're going pretty good. If you can go under seven, then you're going really good. If you can go under six, then you're world class. So Yeah, definitely wasn't under six then. It would have been the next one back. I remember looking at the times and being like, oh, you know, the the world record was like a minute and a half faster. And I'm like <laughs> how? How how is that even possible? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like the splits you're holding for that, but that was it's just one of those events where I was just like, man, like you know, even as a test, it was one of those things that I think mentally, you know, that you have to go into a really like painful place physically, and you're just going to have to hold on. Like the first 500 will feel good. You're trying to hold on for the next 500, and then everything else is just like, uh, you know, <laughs> I have so much respect for rowers after having done that a few times that you know yeah. got relatively fit at it, but never anything decent. But it's like, come on, like. Some of these guys that do that stuff, it's just you, you can't actually comprehend they how are, good they are. They are the best athletes. I, I personally think they're the best athletes in the world. I'm watching the Tour de France. I love watching the Tour de France and the cyclists there and next level and the time trial over note show, showed, you know, the, the epitome of human performance. But for me, rowers are 
because it covers everything and because it's yeah. a you know six and a half minutes six minute whatever just brutal brutal test of fitness of strength of power of everything i just mm. think the best athletes in the world yeah so yeah yeah it's it is a real good combination of all those different yeah. things and i i think the to, to me it's just still that you're operating in that like lactate zone pretty much the entire time like it's just going to burn and hurt regardless there's no way like it's not like you can coast at all nope. um during that and no. <laughs> yeah 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 and you um, know it's it kind of, of yeah, yeah yeah exactly questioning you you going at the start of each race you go and you understand that in about two minutes time nothing will feel good and then you know you've still got another four and a half minutes to go and, and you're willingly making a decision to step up to the start <laughs> so shot yeah 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 for sure how, how have you found that training and what have you changed about your training to go from you mentioned you've kind of had to redevelop <laughs> yourself is that like physically in the gym type thing as well or is that mainly the engine that you're training like how does how does that kind of what, what do you mean by that um so during lockdown the first lockdown when everyone was rushing around for equipment to take home and stuff i just because i've done rowing at uni and, and surf boat rowing mm. and, and as i said i love it i just thought well I'm just going to go and grab a rowing machine. So I grabbed that and took it home. And then I started having a look online and, and lo and behold, there's a, I don't know, there's a worldwide tournament and, and everything's sort of hooked up and, and everything's there. So all of a sudden, and you can be really niche. So I'm a 45 to 50 year old lightweight and there's a few of us around, but there's not a truckload of us around. And mm. um, so all of a sudden you're competing on a relatively level playing field. Um, everyone's in the same space and, and you can go really good. So I started with the 2K stuff because that's that was my sort of strength and, and that's what I'm doing. And um, one of my old coaches, well he's, yeah, he is old, um, but he still sort of looks after me a little bit, is famous for his saying, if you want the smiles, you've got to do the miles. So, you know, that sits with me. So I would get on the Ryan machine and I'll just do the miles. And it doesn't matter whether my race was 2,000 metres or 500 metres. If you want the smile, you got to do the miles. So... Um, I love that idea, and especially on a rowing machine, if I lose, it is purely on me and no one else. There's nothing else. There's no. I can't blame my first five eight. I can't blame a winger or my hooker or whatever. It is purely on me, and those are the tests. Same with the Ironman and the Ultra and stuff. Those are the tests that I love the most. So, um, yes, yeah, so that's where I got into it. And then, so I did a couple of two. I did. Um, qualify for world champs because it's all online so you set yeah. in qualifying times you make them um, and so I did a couple of world champs at the 2k and then um, realized that I was going pretty good but I was getting beaten by Olympian athletes that were coming out of retirement <laughs> it's like well I'm I'm setting you know pbs for me but I'm still 30 seconds away from even touching where the world where the top guys are and so I'm looking at that and going oh, look I'm realistic I have a set training uh, window and I know I'm not going to hit that. So what else can I do? And so then the other race is 500 metres. And so I've gone from being mm. a Ironman, Ultra, whatever, to trying to explode over 500 metres. And I'm loving it. I just, I love the, the training's different. Still miles for smiles, like that still aspect is there, but I'm just being really experimental with what I'm doing in the gym. And, and you start valuing 0.1 of a second and mm -hmm. half a second and big uh, you know a big jump is consistently getting 0.2 of a second and um yeah i've just been pretty successful in that space and uh the really good thing for me is i'm now the next world champs i'm 50. so i've yeah. been old for the last three years 
That's been my young again. <laughs> That's my preseason. My birth date is 29th of December, so I'm always two days away from being that guy. Um, and now all of a sudden, I'm going to be young. So I yeah. can't wait. <laughs> I just had a quick check as well about my 2K time. It was uh, 6.56 was the best oh, that I've got. So well, it was a tick under seven. So I'll, well I'll take that, and I do not want to go and try and beat that again. That is not <laughs> something that's on my horizons at all. No, I hate the 2K now. I, I don't even go near it. Uh, 500 did you do any of the longer stuff like the 5k or 10k uh yeah well that's all part of training eh? like um uh there were half marathon races so i jumped on and did that and and again you start looking at and, and they don't mean a hell of a lot but um mm. there's enough of a community where the new zealand records are kind of cool to aim up for and so you go you have a look and see what the new zealand records are and you say oh so god you know you'll have a crack at that and keeps you motivated yeah it does um i'm a so to be lightweight you've got to be under 75 kgs and i live at 77 78 and i'm quite comfortable living there i know i can get down to 75 for about a two-month window from yeah. january through to marchish which is when all so um and i enjoy food and stuff too much so i just i live i train come january after christmas i have two months where i'm doing what i need to do i have a crack at a whole lot of things during there and then i come out of it and i go and live my life again and then so I can cycle in and out like that. I'm is it like lucky. a two-hour weigh-in window for that yeah, sport? It is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, just like CrossFit and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and because the world champs are over in the Europe, it's really Europe Eurocentric. Then it's often at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, which sounds niggly, but in actual fact, you go to bed, you dehydrate while you're in bed, you wake up, and you're generally at weight. You're so. nice and light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you it's get to travel for that, or is it all all remote stuff? It's all online. So you hook your you hook your rowing machine up to your laptop. Um, and everyone else around the world will do the same. COVID really created that. It used to be yeah. in-house, you had to be at the gym or the or whatever to get it done. And then it's like, well, we can't. So um, mm. I guess um, there's, you know, there's always, there's been some stuff around COVID, et cetera, about getting people more active again, but it certainly generated this. So for two years, mm. it was all online. And then last year was the first time where I was like, well, you can travel now. So if you can, you can. If you can't, we'll still keep it online. So it's been hybrid. And I think um, that's oh. where people will keep it now so there's certainly no denying that when you're on site you know the the adrenaline's yeah. flying the crowds are pumping but at least it gives me a chance in little new zealand to um get up and, and race against the world so i'll take yeah. that every day that's cool that's cool i mean there's so, so many different aspects to those those different things you've done like and one of the things to me that sort of sticks out is how you've you've done what you've done in specific seasons with like the constraints that were part of that phase yeah. of your life like and I think that's something that I've sort of started to realize um, in my own training as well as like there's going to be periods of time where there's higher demand or lower demand on your time from these other things outside of, you know, your day job and your kids. Yep. And it's kind of like, well, you kind of have to adjust your training to suit if yep. that means you're doing shorter, sharper stuff or how you're doing shorter, sharper stuff. If that means you can get out for a two hour run, well, you can get out for a two hour run. Um, and you, you learn not to sweat it like I used to sweat. Yeah. It. Learn now. It's like, okay, cool. Within a week, as long as I'm doing something three or four times, then I'm okay. It doesn't matter where I just feel like I need to do it. And and so, so you just don't sweat it anymore. And as soon as you get that attitude, then you find yourself developing again. What do you what do you think it was that helped you make that switch? Was it by like you were forced to do that or you sort of just got a bit more mature and realized that actually this isn't the be all end all? Like what was kind of yeah. the shift for you? That the ego started to drop, I think, more than anything. And um, as you get smarter with your training and and 
And that's the thing with rowing as well, eh? and, and those sort of time-based sports, you can still measure yourself against yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, you have to start making decisions around how you're spending your time and how you're prioritising. And so you do that for a three, four-week period. You go and re-measure yourself, and you think, oh, actually, that that's okay. I haven't dropped. I thought I would, but I haven't. So somewhere in that thing, there might actually be a new way of doing things. And then you go and do and you try some other stuff. And, um, you know, as you get older, you just train smarter, not harder. You can still train hard when you have to. So, you know, as, as a teacher, I'm so fortunate I have a eight-week training block over summer <laughs> where I can just yeah. – and I know that. And so I set myself up to say, okay, I get, I'll, I'll just get what I can out of term three, term four. I get what I can out of rugby. Um, I nail a couple of things that I really want to make sure I nail. But come summer, come December the 5th when school finishes – I know I'm on and and I know that if I do an eight week training block, nine week, 10 week, get back to school, hold it for a couple of weeks, I know I'm okay. So um, mm-hmm. you just you just find what works for you and go for it. So it's almost like you've got this yearly like set periodization structure yep. there, don't you? That there's the yep. your volume phase or your your most yep. work's always gonna be over that summer oh, period. Just get through <laughs> life phase and then summer hits. That's why we're all teaching <laughs> for the holidays. <laughs> Yeah, no, I always, because um, obviously I'm still good friends with Sean McFarlane, yes. um, who's now teaching with you guys as yep. well. And it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I just like the amount of time that they get over summer. I'm just like, mate, I wouldn't mind going back and retraining some days. I think maybe I've missed my calling here and I should get back into that because there'd be coaching opportunities. There'd be, you know, awesome. there's this time off. You can yep. hang, you know, same holidays as your kids. Like there's all these yep. benefits, man. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. you just got to so, spend a whole lot of time with kids. That's all. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which I guess is the thing when you're not used to that. But I don't know, is it? I guess you've got colleagues as well. I was going to say, sometimes it's a bit like that being in a workplace as well, isn't it? But yep. no disrespect yeah, yeah. to my colleagues. I have a lot of good colleagues, but you know, um, oh, look, at a you school, always get personalities. Yep. At a school, um, and I'm a really firm believer of this. Um, at Boys High in particular, the boys are the energy, they're the lifeblood of the school. And mm-hmm. um, we're just really fortunate that they provide us with opportunities to do what we want to do. And um, again, like as a, as a senior master, it would be fair to say that not all the job is positive, but if mm. you want some positivity, then get out of your office at lunchtime and just go and walk around the school and you will find yeah. so much positivity. And the boys, um, that's the big thing of coaching and just being present around the school. The boys respect that. They see they see when you put in the extra. So if you hop in your car at 3.20 when school finishes and drive off, they see that. But if they mm. see you still at school at five o'clock, coaching, working, um, then they see that as well and they respect that. And the opportunity to see guys outside of the classroom where sometimes the classroom isn't their best setting, but you see Mm. them on camps or you see them in trips or you see them on sad days and stuff, then that's where they're at their strongest. And and then, you you know, that's what you um, emphasise when you see them next time. Hey, I saw you on Saturday or I saw you at camp. You were awesome. Well done. Let's see if we can transfer some of that through to the classroom. If we do, sweet. If we're not, then at least I know that you have some really positive qualities. We've just got to try and get them out of you somewhere else. That's cool. That, yeah, that's that's a really good insight. Like, And I think it is one of those things, you know, we see people within a specific context and we almost make a judgment about them from that, from that one piece of their life or that one angle that we see. But actually, you know, depending on the context you see that person in, you might see a completely different human being in front of you with, with a completely yeah. different set of qualities. So. It, yeah, works the other a, way. Yeah. it works the other way as well. For boys to see teachers, uh, you know, we're not always nice people, teachers. We have a really strong resting face. And um, uh, so they don't often see us at our best. 
But when we're doing what we're passionate about, if that's the coaching or whatever, and they see us and we can joke with them and we can, you know, different context, then that's that's the same as well. So you have to see people in more than one setting. Otherwise, you never know what they are. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's a like some of the principles that you have in terms of the way that you hold yourself and the, the set key sort of foundations, I guess, that you have for yourself as a coach and as a teacher, is there a bunch of overlap in that? Like, are those things quite complementary and, and help with one another or is there discrepancies yeah. there? Like, how does that kind of fit no, for you? I, I, my perception is that I'm a teacher and a coach. At this, like, the things that I really enjoy about coaching and the principles that I put on myself around coaching, around, you know, making sure you're prepared really well, making sure that you're able to produce your plans with clarity, making sure that you have some of the answers, but not all of the answers. So there's some self-development in there and just making sure that you show passion about that, which you're coaching. It's exactly the same as a teacher. If you're not passionate about your subject as a teacher, and if you're not passionate about being in the classroom with the boys or, you know, or whatever classroom it is, then that will stand out like nothing. And, and your Mm -hmm. students will pick that up straight away. So you have to be, well prepared and you have to have knowledge in your area and you have to be able to know everything uh, know most things but have that humility to say sure, not sure mate let's google see what happens it's a beautiful tool um and above all else as a teacher if you're not passionate about your subject then like what are you even doing there because the boys know that and as a PE teacher um you don't have to look like an athlete but you have to be able to role model you know, that overall sense of whole order and that well-being and that idea around life balance, work-life balance and, and stuff, because that's what you're asking your boys to do. Because um, you would love to think that every student wants to be at PE, and by and large, there are probably more students wanting to be at PE than some of the other subjects, but not everyone wants to be there. So um, it's not about being the best sportsman and stuff. It's just about encouraging healthy lifestyle and and understanding that you may not get it straight away but you will find it somewhere and just find what you enjoy doing that's active and and out there because the benefits are far reaching Mm, mm, that's yeah bang on (laughs) can't add anything to that mate i think that's bang on rocket science (laughs) cool man i know we're getting up to the the end of that sort of hour mark and i don't want to hold you too late tonight but i was just sort of curious was anything else you wanted to add before we jump into those final three do you feel like we've missed anything um important um i just um like you you sort of made mention around um the training and prioritizing the time and stuff i just think it's really important i impress this upon the boys as well um for me to do what i do and for the rugby players to do what they do and stuff you know there's often talk about you're sacrificing this and you're sacrificing that and i've never felt that way if you say you're mm. sacrificing time with people or whatever to do this, then that makes it sound really negative. For me, I'm the person in it, so I'm making conscious decisions to train and I'm making conscious decisions to go for this goal or to go for that. The people that yeah. are making the sacrifices are everyone around you, you know, like mm. in, in terms of supporting you and stuff. And so you absolutely have to respect and honour those sacrifices. If you've made conscious decisions to go and do things and you know that you're kids may not see you or, or whatever, then you have to honour that. You cannot, you know, you're either mm. or not. So um, I just think people make too much of a thing about I've sacrificed party time and I've sacrificed nights out on the Friday and stuff. No, you haven't. You've made a conscious decision not to go out. So yeah, you've made a conscious decision to go to the gym. You've made a conscious decision to try and make this team and everyone else around you is going to sacrifice to get you there. So honour that respect mm. and and thank it basically. 
Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good, mate. You just you got all these wisdom, all these pearls mm. of wisdom, and you you told me you were nervous about coming onto the podcast, mate. And you look oldest, at all the stuff. <laughs> the oldest one you've had on here, mate. So, nah, nah, definitely not, definitely uh, not. <laughs> this is the reason I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> well, I, I could probably do with a haircut, mate. I probably mm. should be wearing a hat as well. <laughs> note, the, note the varsity, though. Note the varsity. I, I did see that. Thank uh, you. Before when I was looking, I noticed that when you came forward and the light shone in just the right way. No one else is going to be able to see that, but no. I did notice the Varsity logo on the hat. Thank you. No. <laughs> cool, man. So um, if there wasn't anything else, we can jump into those those final three, which I sent through um, to yesterday. So um, these are the three questions that we ask to every guest that comes on. Um, and the first one there is, what is a key piece of advice or a key word of advice for new dads? So thinking of those first um, few years of being a father, what's a key piece of advice or tip you'd give? Uh, treasure the time. Um, like I was reading something around the time we went through a bit of a journey to have our children and um, it wasn't an easy journey. Um, mm. Thomas was born eight months, oh, eight months, Jesus, that would have been a hell of a lot premature. <laughs> he was born eight weeks premature and like that's just a massive shock to the system. And so you just, mm. you have to treasure the time and, and I I look back now, I, I don't know that I understood that at the time. Um, I was making decisions um, and I was fortunate to have the support of, of Steph and, and who was supporting my decisions and, and in terms of work and stuff. And um, But you just have to treasure the time because I've got a 20-year-old and a 19-year-old now and I wonder where that time's gone sometimes. So, um, and one's left home and the other one's about to leave home and you sort of look back and you think, you know, I. Yeah, so I think treasure the time. I think in terms of training and 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 whatnot, don't sweat it. Like you'll find the opportunities, and if that means, as I said, getting up at four o'clock to do the bottle feed, on one hand you're absolutely supporting your wife through that, and on the other hand there's a two-hour block right there. <laughs> Take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it means getting because your son won't sleep or your your daughter won't sleep, if it means getting them up and putting them in the buggy and taking them for that run, then do that. It's a how cool is that? You get to exercise, you bond with the kids while they're out and about, they get to see a little bit of the outside and mum gets to sleep. So, um, yeah, just treasure that time, but don't sweat if you can't do your thing because it's not your time to do your thing. Your window of opportunity was either before that or it will be shortly thereafter. So make cool. the most. Cool. Definitely, definitely a, a bang on there, I think. And as you say, when those opportunities present themselves i think you have to grasp them in terms of yep. the time that you might get like um <laughs> there's ways to be creative um with yes. some of those things which you've kind of you've kind of gone through there with that oh well, i'm to, up at four i might as well yeah. go and do my run <laughs> yeah i used to um like i'd go um i'd run to a park you know when the kids got a little bit older and, and parks were their thing then it was like okay cool i'll meet you at that park and it'll be 15 20k away Sweet. So there's my run. I'll meet you there. We'll have playtime. I'll either run home or I'll drive home with you. Or it'll be, you know, we had a house down and or we have um, access to a house down in Raumati, which is 100 k's away. Well, that's a great bike ride. So sweet. We're going there for the weekend. Um, I'll bike down. I'll see you there. And so you yeah. just, there's ways around it. Just depends what sort of a decision you'd like to make. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the second question that we've got here is, um, a new habit or something that you've kind of implemented within this past, I guess, year or so, you know, just a recent habit or recent change that you've implemented. It doesn't have to be related to training or parenting. Um, I was actually thinking about that and I 
I'm a man of um, very boring habits. Like I'll have, <laughs> I've had the same breakfast for the last two or three years. I porridge. I love porridge. All of a sudden, <laughs> I never used to like porridge, and then I started having porridge with frozen berries and almonds and all that healthy stuff and lo and behold i got some really good training benefits out of it so i don't really i'm not a man for those sort of new things that sort of come in i'll i'll um having said that like i'm trying things in the gym obviously i guess that's my new habit is to mm. not be the norm um there are things i'm doing in the gym and people are looking at going what, uh, what's that about sort of stuff but i know my rowing i know my uh my strengths and weaknesses within the rowing stroke my race is approximately 60 strokes. If I get two of them wrong, I lose 0.1 of a second. That's bronze for me instead of gold. So um, I'm just trying things at the moment that uh, will lead to me having 60 perfect strokes. So um, I guess having the courage to step outside what is the norm and, and just sort of see how it goes. And so far, so good. So that's my new habit is to step outside and trust Trust me, not not so much trust what all the books say and what all the podcasts say, but just trust me and say, I think this is going to be really beneficial for me as an athlete. So let's rip into it. And I mean, you can only figure that out by trying it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you retest and lo and behold, times are going down, things are working well. So you might be onto something, but you're not going to share it with anyone. Good Lord. <laughs> cool, man. And then the last one there is um, any book or, and or podcast recommendations that you might have. I have literally listened to four podcasts. One is yours, because but I listen to people. So I saw Kurt and thought, oh, mm. like I've I've known Kurt for a long time. We have a, um, you know, he and I won Shan Shield together as a Kyoto club leaders, you know, for the first time in God knows how long. So we have a really special link. So I saw that and I thought, sweet, I'm going to listen to Kurt. Um, mm. Braden Yossi did one a wee while ago. I listened to Braden. So I just tend to listen to podcasts of people that I know and that I'm interested in. So I cannot say that I can offer anything in that space. Um, books wise, I love reading, um, but I'm more about the thrillers and the crimes and stuff like that. So I really like Vince Flynn and Joe Nesbo. So if you're looking for some really good quality um, thriller, crime action-y type books, that's where I'd be going to. I'm um, going to have to pop that down because I've always been like a reader of non-fiction um, yeah. rather than fiction. It's always been my go-to. And I had a um, guest on the podcast, Zach Powell, recommend some fantasy to me earlier this year. Yeah, it was the yeah. first time that I had read non-fiction. I was like, well, I trust the guy, so I'm going yeah. to read the book and, you know, see, see how it goes. And I was like, oh, this is good. I'm actually enjoying uh, reading something. Enjoy that's reading. Not, <laughs> that's I not, read you know, I read all the time when I was young. It was something that was um, mum and dad were really strong on. And come the holidays, or summer holidays in particular, um, like I'll go to the school library, I'll get five or six books out, and that'll last me a couple of weeks, and I'll go back and grab another. Like if I'm not at the beach or with the family, then I'm reading. And I just I love reading. It's my um, escape. And um, But I, I can read autobiographies. I don't mind reading that sort of stuff, but I just like to read fast-paced sort of books. I don't want to be bogged down in a whole lot of things. So... Vince Flynn for sure. Mitch Rapp, he's a hell of a, hell of a guy, saving the world. Yeah. One book at a time. <laughs> cool, man. That's That's been really awesome. And I feel like I've uh, it's been nice to kind of get to know you a bit more too, because although we've kind of interacted in the past at school, as we said, you probably didn't actually teach me. And that was about, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago almost now that I was I was at Boys High. So um, it's been cool to get to chat, learn a little <laughs> bit about you and your background and all the different competitive things you've done, as well as kind of um, get some of those perspectives around you're making a decision, you're not making a sacrifice. I think that's a, a really big takeaway for me from this one is that it's not, 
you know, you're making that choice for you. It's not you're not sacrificing anything. Those around you are supporting you and making that sacrifice. That's a massive take home um, for me from today. So yeah, appreciate your time and um, yeah, wish you all the best with the with the rest of the first fifteen season this year. Thank you very much. It's uh, thank you for being for inviting me on. I did say at the time when you did, you must be running out of people. But um, <laughs> it is cool to reflect, I guess, on how I've arrived to where I'm arrived at. And your questions certainly made me do that. So um, yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you gained anything of value, please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think may benefit from its content. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. That's at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. We'll see you on the next one.